Now, let me tell you a little background, all right? I've been here for two years, and I've not taught this to you. I taught it to our deacons and advisors. When did I do that, guys? Back this in, in winter? Was it winter time that I taught this? The fall? And um, the advisors, my next meeting, they said, why haven't you taught this to the whole church? And I said, well, I guess I just haven't. And uh, so I've, I've, I'm going to teach it to you. And, but what I've done is that I've taken and I've rewritten a lot of stuff. So y'all are going to get a lot of, of fresh stuff tonight, okay? Stuff I've never taught before, you're going to get tonight as, and, and tomorrow night and, and Wednesday night as we go through that. So, so let's have a good time with all of this tonight, okay? All right, so uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us tonight as we dive in to this, I think, is your heart how you started the church for your glory, how you started the church to build lives that honor you, and how you're building this church to honor you. And I pray, Father, you give me your words and your wisdom, and you give us clarity and unity as we lean into what you want us to know and what you want us to become. So thank you for tonight, and thank you for these folks that are here. This says so much about them, Lord, and not much about me, but so much about them, and I thank you for their hearts. And I look forward to what you're going to say and do. And we pray this in your strong name. Amen. Amen. Um, how many of y'all were in second gathering yesterday? A couple of y'all. Did y'all notice that I stopped and prayed about spiritual warfare? Yeah, I felt it so strong in, in the second gathering yesterday. God was up to something and people uh, and Satan was up to a counterattack. It was kind of strange. We prayed that that feeling went away. And Wyatt, how many Wyatts here someplace? I think there he is. I'm sorry, Wyatt. You blended into the the masses. Uh, how many new believer packets were gone yesterday? A table full. A table full. So about fifteen. About fifteen new believers packets were gone yesterday. So God's working, and that's really cool. But. Satan does not want us to be in unity. Satan does not want us to be in unity. Satan does not want us to be on mission and build lives that honor, him, that honor God. Satan doesn't want that. So he's going to do everything he can to distract us. And I'm going to talk to you more about that. I'm going to show you how you can pick up where Satan is at work in your own heart. Because I've, I've given some thought about that. I wrote on top of the whiteboard. I don't think you could see it. Everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. If I have a whiteboard, I write that on the top because that is true. That is who we are, what we do. If you come into my office, you'll see that scrawled on top of a whiteboard. That is a reminder that it's about Jesus. So let's start with why. Everything starts with why. Everything starts with why. Why do we exist and why do we do what we do? That sounds like a simple answer, but everything we do here, the why here is everything we do is for the global glory of God. Everything we do is for the global glory of God. The church does not exist for your benefit. It exists for the global glory of God. To become a healthy church, we must remember that we exist for King Jesus. We are not holding down a job, filling a time slot, running an organization. Now, you see why I teach that to pastors? I, I love what uh, Peterson, who, who wrote the message, who, who, who transcribed the message Bible, he says, gentlemen, to pastors, gentlemen, we are not professionals. Now, there's a professional manner of behavior, but we are not professionals. We are servants of the Most High God. 
We are living to make Jesus famous by leading his church for God's glory. And it starts, and, and with why, it brings this. What's starting with the why, it brings these four things, and they'll be on the screen, you can fill them in. First of all, it brings clarity. When you understand why, you start figuring out the clarity around things. Y'all heard the story about the woman who was cooking ham. She cut off the end of it and threw it away. And her daughter asked, why do you do that? She says, I don't know. My, my mother did that. So she called grandma, grandma, why do you cut off the end of ham and throw it away? She says, I don't know. My mother did that. She called her great-grandma. And her grandma, she said, grandma, I know she cut off your end of ham and throw it away. Why is that? It's because my pan is not big enough for the ham. That's a lot of wasted pork, Right? But when you start with why, it starts bringing clarity. Now, in a couple of months, you're going to get a document from me that tells you the history of this church. I've gone back and searched for the why. Why did this church begin? And I think you'll discover the same why is why we exist today. This church started 135 years ago at Jacob's Well for a gospel witness in the Wimberley Valley for the glory of King Jesus. We have not left our intent. We started with why. Uh, starting with why brings conviction. You know what to be committed to, and that's the next blank. It brings conviction and commitment. Conviction that doesn't lead to commitment is wasted energy. Do you know that? You get convicted that you need to be on, di on a diet on Monday Actually, you get convicted on Sunday, and you break it on Monday, right? Yeah, so it's that conviction that leads to commitment. And then the last thing, it brings camaraderie, that we're in this together. When we focus on the why, it brings us together. So that's clarity, conviction, commitment, and camaraderie. We're in this together. Now, this conference, or this time we're here, this summer soaked, is not the latest sales technique, groupthink, or slick marketing presentation. It's not. It's none of those things. This is designed to help you think through how God builds people through building his church. How God builds people by building his church. So why do we call it building lives? Anybody want to answer that? Why do we call what we do? Why do we say we exist to bring God's glory by building lives that honor him? Why do we say building lives? Anybody want to take a guess at that answer? Jesus was a builder. Sandy, are you the one who said that? Yep, you wrote a poem about it. That's right. When Jesus, when the term used for Jesus, Jesus was a carpenter, it was dismissive. They were diminishing him. That's kind of like calling um, Michael, Michelangelo a painter. Jesus was a builder. In fact, the Greek word for Jesus was a tecton, a big builder. He built big things. Now get this, because Jesus was a builder, he built big things. The biggest thing he built was his church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now I'll take you back to Caesarea Philippi real quick and listen, listen to how this transcribed. This is incredible. So Jesus is a builder. He's a tecton. He was in the era of Herodian architecture. Can y'all say Herodian architecture? Yeah, y'all know what I'm saying when I say that? The architectural style of King Herod. King Herod the Great, he was a great builder. He built Caesarea. He built um, Masada. 
He built uh, the, the temple, he built the palaces, and he had a building style where he would use a large stone surrounded by small stones. Surrounded by small stones. Jesus said, Peter, you're a small stone. But him using the word for large stone, foundation stone, but he said, but upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is the large stone. Now, when you go with me to Jerusalem, you'll go down into the, the, uh, the tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, and you'll see a massive, two massive Herodian stones. They are uh, 50, no, 540 tons. That's a big rock, isn't it? And there's two of them, they're massive. And those things then are surrounded by smaller stones. And so when you look at that, you realize Jesus was a tecton. He built on the big stone, small stone. Now he's the big stone, we're the small stones. Y'all get that? So surrounded by Jesus. So why do, uh, do we call ourselves a building lives church? Because Jesus was a builder and he builds us large or small stones into his large stone called the church. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does it give you encouragement? That what we're doing is not replicating somebody's model. What we're doing is repeating what Jesus has done. Now, let me tell you another story. You may not have heard this one. Maybe you have. If you have, just bear with me. That in 100 AD, all the disciples were dead. All the disciples were dead. And um, Antioch became the center of the church world. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. The Christians moved to Antioch, and then uh, they started missionary movements from there. You know, Paul and Barnabas went out. I'm preaching about Paul and Barnabas going out this week, and uh, I will tell y'all, I'm going to chase a little rabbit in just a second. But uh, Paul and Barnabas went out, and in Antioch, when all the disciples were dead, they didn't have any more apostolic authority. They didn't have any more apostolic authority because they were all dead. Now, they all were martyred except for John, who was boiled in oil, thrown on Patmos, and then he went back to Asia Minor where he died an old man. But they had no more apostolic authority. So they started building disciples using a method called the catechumid school. Y'all ever heard of catechism? That's where it comes from. Catechumid, the catechumid schools. In the catechumid schools, they taught five principles of a life commitment that builds to honor God, the discipleship that honors God. Disciple, you know what they were? Worship, connecting, growing, serving, and sharing. That's what they were. So what we're doing is we're resurrecting what was the why to begin with. Now, how does that make you feel? Does that encourage you? So we are not repeating somebody's pattern. Now, I hear this from time to time. Uh, I hear, well, you're just trying to be Rick Warren. I'm not trying to be Rick Warren. I love Pastor Rick. He's a great guy. But I want to tell you something. Rick Warren went to Southwestern Seminary. Did y'all know that? He's a Southern Baptist. Saddleback Church is a Southern Baptist church. And Rick Warren's a Southern Baptist preacher. Rick at Southwestern is mentored by a guy named Harold Bullock. Harold Bullock was using the five purposes of the church when Rick was still trying to find Corinthians in his Bible. There are three books that were published at Southwestern talking about these catechumen schools 
that lay out those five purposes before Rick ever wrote Purpose Driven Church or Purpose Driven Life. Rick will tell you that. We are not trying to be Saddleback. Do y'all know that? We're not following Rick Warren. Do y'all know that? We love him. People gossip about him. But I want to tell you something. If you do anything for King Jesus, people are going to slander you. Did you know that? I mean, your, your kinfolk are going to talk about you if you do something for Jesus. In fact, they'll probably be the first ones to talk about you. Uh, ask Jesus at his brothers and the nonsense they did. So all of that is to say this, that this is a biblical model that's timeless and ageless that God himself started, and it's based on two commitments, the commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, but I'm gonna show you a lot more. So the growth of your church, and I think this is fun, I wrote this, the growth of your church is God's business. The health of the church is your business. It's none of our business how big this church becomes. Did y'all know that? It's not. We're not into church growth here. Now, has our church grown? Has our church grown? Yeah, significantly. Uh, we are actually, I won't say this to you, not a braggadocious way just to help you understand. We're one of the fastest growing churches in North America right now, percentage-wise. It's crazy what God is doing here. But the size of our church is none of our business. That's God's business. The health of our church is our business. The Bible says the church is a body. It's a living organism. Therefore, it's alive. And because it's alive, it's natural for a church to grow. It's unnatural for it not to grow. It's unnatural for it not to grow. So if a church is not growing, then she is probably not healthy. Now, I want to ask you this. How many churches in North America are currently growing? Anybody want to guess? Give me a percentage. Somebody give me a percentage. 7%, 5%, 1%. 7 5 7%, 1%. 1%. It's, it's between 5% and 1%. Now, I want to give you some other staggering statistics, okay? In the metropolitan areas of Texas, Austin, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, Lubbock, if you want to call that metropolitan, El Paso. The church unchurch ratio in those metropolitan cities is approximately 85%. 85% of the population of those major cities are in no church, are in no church on Sunday. When you move away from the cities, what do you think the unchurched population does there? Goes up. The unchurched population in the rural areas of Texas is at 95%. The more rural, the more unchurched. Is that shocking to you? I was in Luling not long ago talking to a young pastor, perhaps one of the sharpest young pastors I've met, talking to him. Luling is a town of 6,000. Less than 1,000 people are in church on any given Sunday. It's probably more like 600 people and all the churches in Luli combined. 1%. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. But that's the reality of church today. Why is that? Why, why do you think that is? TV, <laughs> could be. Too busy. 
unhealthy churches. Unhealthy churches. One of the biggest problems is not the competition of culture. It's the unhealthy nature of churches. When churches are filled with drama and disunity, people stay away. Wow. Well, in the latest days, <laughs> the percentage has gone way up. You know, I think between uh, uh, Wood Creek and Wimberley, there's about 4,000 people, 5,000 people. Do y'all realize that on Easter Sunday this year, we had 1,750 of those people in this church? Is that crazy or what? Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah. So when a church is healthy, God grows the church, right? Right? And so it's our job to make sure that we're healthy. So health comes from balance. Health comes from balance. Um, balance brings health. There, there are nine different systems in your body. You have a cardiovascular, a circulatory system, a respiratory system, a central nervous system, a skeletal system, a digestive system, a cardiovascular system, on and on. We could talk about all those things. When these nine systems are all in balance, it's called good health. Any one of these systems gets out of balance, it's called disease. Disease. Now, some of your systems quit working as you get old. Do y'all know which ones those are? Your reproductive system quit working when you get old. You got that? Okay, that probably was not proper, and I'll probably get in trouble for that, and I won't teach that the next time I teach this. Well, the, you know what finally gets you is when, when one of those major systems shut down, you're done. You're done. You're basically your cardiovascular system. Everyone dies of heart failure. Did y'all know that? Everybody dies of heart failure because when it quits, you're, you're done. So and when you look at there, the same way the body, there are systems in the body of Christ, the church, there's the honor system, there's the connect system, there's the growth system, there's the serve system, and there's the share system. When these systems are working, these systems are balanced, they produce healthy growth. If they get out of balance, churches don't grow. Now, I tell you right now, there's no, no single way for a church to grow, but there is, anyone who thinks they have the right answer, they haven't even asked the right questions. We cannot grow the church. Have y'all got that? We cannot. If we can, it's not something you want to grow. Do y'all remember the movie about Frankenstein? We don't want that, do we? No, we want God's way. So we need honor. Yes, we need honor. We need connection. We need growth. We need small groups. We need all of these things to help us grow in balance because balance produces health. So every church is directed by, are y'all with me? Any questions so far? I know I'm talking fast. Are y'all with me? Everybody happy? All right. Question. Yes, sir. Trent? Yes. Yeah, it goes from 85 in the urban areas to 95% in the rural areas. And the reason is because most rural areas do not have a dynamic, healthy church which people will come and attend. It's scary, isn't it? I want to say this. I want you to write this down. It's not in your curriculum. I want you to write this down, okay? You have a choice. We have a choice. We either can control or we can grow. You can't do both. You can't do both. Now, can you have some controls? Yeah. But you can't, we cannot control the growth that God brings. Are y'all realizing that? Yeah. But what we can do is stay in balance and stay healthy. Now, every church is directed by some force. 
by tradition. And you know, if your church is driven by tradition, their favorite phrase is, this is what we've always done. Or we ain't never done it that way before. Have y'all ever heard that in church? Newfangled way. It's because we're driven by our traditions. Some are driven by their personalities. Uh, their, their driving personality may be a pastor who's been there a long time or maybe a short time. Uh, if this church has changed its pastors every few years, there's usually some key lay leader that steps up and drives a church. It's driven by his personalities. That's okay for a while, but pretty soon it gets out of balance. And what happens when a personality-driven pastor uh, is there and a pastor's larger in life and then he has a moral failure? What happens? Church goes down, doesn't it? Yeah, this is typically what we do in Baptist churches. We look for what a, we call a magic bullet preacher. That's what we look for. We look for somebody like Richard Cheatham who come down and get the angels saved. And he comes in with his eloquence and his polish and he's quoting 9,000 poems from antiquity and he's slick. He's slick as a car salesman on a Saturday afternoon. He's slick. And we all flock to him. We love him. And then he dies. So what we do, we go find somebody just exactly the opposite from Richard Cheatham. That's what we do. And then the church's philosophy changes because Richard's gone. We got a new preacher, so it comes a new philosophy. And we go back and we keep going backwards instead of forward. Huh. Interesting, isn't it? Churches that are driven by finances. You know, if your church is driven by finances, the favorite phrase is, how much will that cost? When the question should be, what will it do? What will it do? Churches are driven by buildings. Buildings Building-driven churches build beyond their capacity to pay for it. And when they become financially strapped, they're unable to fulfill their ministry tasks because their mortgage becomes their number one priority. The church I pastored in Alabama had about 1,000 people in attendance, and they had a $16 million debt. We paid $80,000 a month in mortgage payments. The name of the church was Vaughn Forest. I called it Broke Forest. Stupid me goes in there to try to help them. But you know what? They're doing better. But they had built beyond their capacity. I promise you this. It's on, it's on tape. I will never lead you to build beyond our capacity to do ministry. Y'all got that? Ever. Driven by programs. Some churches are driven by Sunday school programs or the music programs or the youth program or the women's program or the preschool program and a program-driven church. They're driven by what we do, what we do. Now, are any things I just said, are those bad? Should we have ministries like that? But when those ministries drive us, instead of using the ministry as a tool, then it becomes out of balance. Do you know everything has a shelf life? Did y'all know that? Everything. Ha- I remember when I was a kid, we had training union on, on Sunday nights. Y'all remember that? And we learned how to do the business of the church according to Lifeway. And it was dysfunctional. We learned it. We learned it. And, and now that's no longer effective. We had, there was a lot of other programs we had. I'm not going to name any because somebody, I'm going to name one of your pet programs. You're going to chew on my leg. That's what you're going to happen. But we have programs that run its course. 
Everything has a shelf life, including you. Do you know what doesn't have a shelf life? God's word. God's word. So it's driven by programs. This is what we do. Some churches are driven by events. You can tell a church it's a goal. It's a church to keep the saints busy. As soon as the Bible conference ends, then we start a seminar. And after a seminar ends, we start a music event. As soon as that ends, we go to camp. And as soon as that ends, we have a spiritual summer soak. And as soon as that ends, people are running from thing to thing to thing. Will Rogers said this. He said, the state of Oklahoma builds roads and the Baptists wear them out going to church. That's true. We're event-driven. Uh, I used to be a part of a church that we did the singing Christmas tree. Did y'all ever do that here, Dan? I have photographic evidence of y'all doing it here. And there was a little angel at the top of the tree named Mary Katie every year. Why don't we do the singing Christmas tree anymore? It's got a shelf life, right? Mary Katie can't climb up that high anymore. That's right. So it's those things you, you measure, you say, okay, what's that? I know a church in South Texas, they do a big Christmas event, and they start working on it in April. And everything is focused around this Christmas event that it becomes Christian entertainment for all of South Texas, and nobody gets saved because it's all church folks coming in in their vans and their buses from all over to watch some dude ride a camel down the middle of the aisle. Big deal. Go to Israel, you can see it for real. Event-driven churches wear people out. Then there's churches, now y'all go really like this one. They're driven by the unchurched. The unchurched. This is a new phenomenon in the last 25 years. A new phenomenon. You hear people say, what do the unchurched need most? And I believe we need to be sensitive to unbelievers. Y'all know that. And seekers in our evangelistic efforts, there's no doubt about that. We, need to be, we do not need to be seeker insensitive, Right? We need to pay attention and love them. But this conference, we're going to learn about being a biblically balanced uh, church that's an alternative to these driving forces. That's to become a building lives church that honors God and a building lives church that honors God. So there's a biblical alternative. If you want to build something that lasts, you must build it on God's purpose. Churches that last are built not on programs or personalities or events. These churches, the churches that last, are healthy, growing, built on God's purposes. It says this in Proverbs 19, 21. Many are plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. In Matthew 16, 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice the church is something that must be what? Built. Built. Whose church is it? Jesus' church, right? Have y'all heard me say this before? I am not the senior pastor of this church. Who's the senior pastor of this church? Jesus. I'm just the lead pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor. And those who, uh, and who's, who, who does the building of the church? Jesus does. It's his church. He does the building. We join him in the work. I want y'all to write that in your book. We join him in the work. Do y'all remember Henry Blackaby and Experiencing God? It's that great line. He says, we join God. We don't look for something to do. We join God where he's already working. Where's God already working? In his church. In his church. 
So we must define our church's purpose. What is our purpose? Why do we exist? Why is this important? Let me first talk to you about why we need to define our purpose. The first step is getting a, a plateaued church or a declining church or even a healthy church to grow is to not come up with some new business model. We don't need a new business model. It's not, it's not to align. It's just to get us aligned with God's vision and purpose for his church. So we must go back and rediscover the original vision. That's why are we doing what we're doing. Growing churches or healthy churches have a clear identity. They're precise in their purpose, and they're understanding the reasons why we exist, and we know what God has called us to do. However, you ask the typical church person this, why does the church exist? They'll tell you something different than you ask the pastor. Wynn Arn, who is on the uh, faculty of Liberty University, he did a church survey of churches, a thousand churches, thousand churches. He asked the people in the church why they exist. 90% of the people in the church said this, the church exists to take care of me and my needs. 90%. 10% said the church exists to fulfill the great commandment. Only 10%. He asked the same number of pastors, 1,000 pastors, and it was exactly the opposite. 90% of the pastors said the church exists to fulfill the great commandment. And only 10% said the church exists to take care of the members. Isn't that interesting? Totally flipped. And to be a building life church, we have to be about God's purposes. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called Arise and Shine. You, do you remember that, that book, uh, Dr. Cheatham? That'd be a good book for you to read. It's a, it's a really good book. Good, good book for all of us to read, Rise and Shine. In that book, he's talking about church. He's talking about healthy church. And he said a woman called him one day and she said, Pastor Swindoll, I'm looking for a church to become a member of. He said, that's wonderful. We're looking for people to come be a part of our family. She says, Pastor, I'm looking for a church where I'll be well fed. He said, ma'am, that's wonderful. We're looking for people that are willing to feed others. He said, no, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm looking for a church that will meet my needs. He said, well, ma'am, we're looking for people that will meet the needs of others. He goes, no, no, you, do, you don't understand. Pastor, I'm looking for a church where I have great fellowship. He said, yes, ma'am, I understand that, but we're looking for people that are greatly going to welcome and greet people and be warm and loving and friendly and bring them into circles of hope. She said, obviously, Pastor, this is not the church for me. That's kind of a sad story, isn't it? But don't we all get kind of caught up in that? Don't we all get caught up in that? That it's what about me and what do I want? What do I need? I get caught up in that. Do you know who could be the worst critic of a church in the world? Another preacher. They'll go in and say, I wouldn't have said that. I said this. Or that song, they should have sang that. You hear that soprano? She sounded like cranking an old Chrysler. <laughs> Y'all not like that, are you? No. Y'all don't ever complain about music, do you? You don't ever complain about preachers, especially when that preacher goes long, like that rascal who preached here yesterday. He went long. Y'all don't ever complain about that. Do you? you don't ever complain about being too cold or too hot or running out of coffee or somebody ate all the pigs in the blanket, bless their little pea brains. Y'all don't ever complain about that, do you? Do y'all complain? I never hear y'all complaining about that. You see, we forget why we exist. And we exist for the global glory of God to join him in the building lives of people. Hmm. I'm guilty. 
And I need to be reminded the foundation of a healthy church, balanced church, is balanced church growth is clearly defined in purposes. Let me give you five reasons how we, why we need to define our, our purposes, okay? Our purpose. First of all, it builds morale. Let there be real harmony so there won't be any splits in the church. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Did y'all know that was in there? That there will not be any splits in the church? Did y'all know that was in there? There it is. There it is. Church growth is not church splits. That's not church planting, y'all. Here's something interesting about church splits. It's what I, what I found out. The ones who split away always say there's a theological problem. The ones who stay always say there's a relational problem. So what is the problem? Both. Both. God wants us to be unified in thought and purpose. We need unity. We need to teach individuals the purpose before they even join. That's why we have a membership class, y'all. As many of y'all have gone, in fact, I think most of you have gone through it. You can't join a church without first, under, first studying the purpose of the church. That way everybody knows where we're going before we get on board. Common purpose reduces conflict. When you're rowing the boat, you don't have time to rock the boat. Having clear purpose builds morale. The Bible says it in Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Now I want to tell you what that really means in Hebrew. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. That's what it really means. They cast off restraint. And they start saying what they want to and doing what they want to, when they want to, and they become preference-driven instead of driven by the purpose of God. Hmm. I've heard it said where there's no vision, people found another parish. <laughs> They're gonna go, I'm gonna go find some place where somebody knows what's going on and what we're supposed to be doing. The fact is most churches rarely think beyond next Sunday. Rarely think beyond next Sunday. Tara and I were having this conversation today, this morning. I said to her, I said, it's Monday, but Sunday's coming. Do y'all know what I do on Monday? What do you think I do on Monday? I write my sermon. Did y'all know that? On Monday, I get in my study and I write my sermon. Why? Because I want to get it done. And that's probably one of my primary jobs is to feed you biblically. I, I, I want to get it done. Tara said to me this morning, she said, because you plan, you don't panic. Richard Cheatham's going to preach for me in October when I'm in Nicaragua training pastors. Richard, what's the first thing you said to me? Give me your text. <laughs> Wyatt's going to preach for me soon. What did Wyatt say? Give me your outline. That's what Wyatt said. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He asked me if I had anything. If I did, he'd take it. That's a good man. You can always take somebody else's recipe and add your spice to it. Yeah, that's right. But it's that preparation that keeps you from panicking. Keeps you from panicking. And it gives you the ability to systematically build people. Now I'll tell you something I learned today. Y'all ready for this? I learned today. I'll ask you a question. You can't answer. You can't answer. Why did Saul's name become Paul? 
Some people think, well, Jesus changed his name. He didn't. Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter. Do y'all know why? I learned this today. I didn't know this till today. Paul's Roman name was Saul Paulus. Saul Paulus. When he was with the Jews, they called him Saul. And when he was with the Greeks, they called him Paul. He became all things to all people so he might win a few. And that's something. Did y'all know that? I've been preaching for 38 years and I did. Richard Treadle's been preaching for 750 years. He didn't know that. I thought that was fascinating. That's, I'm going to say that Sunday in my message so y'all will go, y'all say, whoo, he's brilliant. Will y'all do that for me? It's worth $10 for each one of you to do that. See, Tara, she'll pay you, okay? <laughs> Yo, Paul, 10 bucks, Tara. Okay, all right. You think that this is the kind of limp along from week to week. Nothing discourages a congregation more than not having a clear reason to exist. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? Nothing discourages you more. Programs come and go. It's the eternal purpose of God that motivates people over the long haul. You can motivate them for a while with a program or an event or personality, but eventually they're going to get tired of that and they're going to find something else to do. If a church is discouraged, they've got to, they're, they've got to react, reclaim their vision by people helping rediscover why the church exists. And so that's what we've been about here. I've been talking to you guys about church revitalization. All I'm doing is I'm taking you back to your original intent. That's all. We're going back down to the, to the, to the studs. We're taking off the drywall. And we're going back and we're remodeling from God's original intent that he started us 100 and 35 years ago. It reduces frustration. You, Lord, give perfect peace to those who keep their purpose firm. Isaiah 26.3. The church does not have time to do everything. This is, the good news is not everything is worth doing in the first place. Even better, God doesn't expect you to do everything. A purpose statement not only defines what we do, but it defines what we don't do. Wow, the double-minded man can never keep a steady course, James said. Trying to lead a church without a clear purpose is try, like trying to drive in the fog. You're gonna run into something. A clearly defined purpose makes decision-making easier. Define your role before you set your goal. Define your role before you set your goal. It reduces frustration. Without a purpose, you'd probably end up like Isaiah felt in Isaiah 49.4. I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain for nothing. Number three, it allows concentration. Having a clear purpose keeps us, uh, keeps our priorities straight. It keeps you from majoring on minors. It helps you concentrate on resources more effectively. When the light is focused, it has tremendous power. When it's diffused, it has no power. You can feel the warmth of the sun. If you focus on the magnifying glass, you can start a fire or burn up ants, one of the two. When you focus light really tightly, it becomes a laser. So a vision statement, a purpose statement, helps us focus, allows concentration. If you want the life you count, you must focus, focus. It's the key to impact is focus, focus, focus. The more focused your life becomes, the more laser-like it becomes. I bring all my energies to bear on this one thing, Paul said, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. That's the truth. The truth is, 
Most churches do too much. 